This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Tiamson. And a good, good day to everyone out there listening to us. Welcome to TPF Live, the world's fastest hour of racing talk. Rob T. Youngson here alongside Nathan Solomon. We are so happy you could be joining us for episode number 90. That's right, folks. We're out of the 80s and we're going into the 1990s. So get your vernacular ready for some awesome gnarly times. I'm probably saying the wrong terms because a lot of you folks in our demographics are probably not born in the 1980s. But anyways, let's talk racing, of course, stock car racing in this case, because it's the post Talladega pre-Charlotte Roval edition of our show. And as you know, folks, when we get to this time of the year, a lot of fun and a lot of new stories come out to the front and open. And at last, folks, we know our 2024 NASCAR Top 3 Series schedule. So Nathan and I are going to talk about that, try to compress all of the thoughts into this hour of racing talk, and then look back at to what happened at Talladega on the Cup Series side. And oh, by the way, folks, I know a lot of you folks probably love sim racing. We have some great news to share with you. And Nathan and I are going to talk about that as well. So looking forward to that. And then our race winning picks. And this time, it's not exactly a hot seat interview that we have. It's, of course, atop the pit box. So that only means one thing, folks. We're going to have a crew chief in that particular segment. And that will be, of course, Cliff Daniels, crew chief of the number five, HendrickCars.com, Chevrolet Camaro ZL1, driven by Kyle Larson and fielded by Hendrick Motorsports. So it's going to be an exciting episode, and we're so proud to be presented by SpoilerDiecast.com. In any event, folks, let's go bring in Nathan, and let's just kind of like get into it, because Charlotte Roval Race Weekend is not that long from now, so I'm sure Nathan is looking forward to the last road course race of the year. So how are you doing? Yeah, life is good. Things are good. I am home from uh, St. Bonaventure for a little bit. Um, I'm on break for basically a week, so that's nice. Get to do some, uh, get, get back to actual work. Well, not that like, you know what I mean, like the, the paying job for a few days, which is always good. Um, yeah, it's some great weather here in New York. We're getting 80 degrees in October, which I cannot remember the last time that's happened, like for a whole week. Um, so that's fun. But yeah, things are uh Things are good. Can't complain. And I'm a little bit better now knowing that we have the 2024 schedules. Yes, because we've been waiting basically since the start of this season for it. And we've been kind of postulating as to what tracks would be on. You know, are we going to Montreal or any of that talk? Nope. We've got all of it clarified, sorted out. No more rumors. It's going to be all about the facts. So Nathan and I are going to digest all of that for you folks. And then, uh, We'll see what you guys think at home as well if you tweet to us or talk to us on socials. In any event, folks, before we get to all of those fun and games here on TPF Live, let's go hear from our sponsors, SpoilerDieCast.com. Hey, racing fans. Are you in the hunt for the latest diecast cars from Lionel Racing or F1 or IndyCar diecasts? Well, look no further. If you head to SpoilerDieCast.com, you'll find all of the latest and greatest diecast cars and get free shipping and 5% off of your orders if you use promo code TPF by spending $20 or more on your items. Head over to SpoilerDieCast.com and let Evan and his team know that you want the best diecast cards around. And if you use promo code TPF, 
you'll be in the winner's circle. It doesn't get better than that. So just head on over to SpoilerDieCast.com and make your latest purchases today. And yes, folks, get to it and go to SpoilerDieCast.com. Spend $20 or more and you can save 5% off and get free shipping with promo code TPF. Get to it, folks, and make it happen. Also, before we get to Podium Perspectives, big shout out, of course, to Riley Thompson and Teresa Benick on a fantastic job at Talladega. We're looking forward to having them back at the races next year with our team and also looking forward to Stephen Conley and Jared Bokanowski being at the Charlotte Roll this weekend. So good luck to our teams as we get ready to close out this racing season. But right now, let's head on over to Podium Perspectives. And folks, this is probably the biggest news of the entire racing week. Yes, we know our 2024 NASCAR schedule from Cup, Xfinity to the Truck Series. So just to kind of put it in highlight form, we know that Richmond Raceway is not having a doubleheader race weekend. It's going to be individual races, too, with both races happening during the night including the first one being on Easter Sunday evening at 7 p.m. on Fox. And then the summer race weekend being on a Sunday in the summertime at 6 p.m. We also have a return to Bristol Motor Speedway's concrete tracks surface with the spring race going back to what we know and love. No more dirt. So Nathan's happy about that. We also have the all-star race that's going to be back at the North Wilkesboro Speedway. We know that Chicago is going to happen, thankfully. So we get to hopefully see an honest edition of this race, not impeded by rain. And then not too much of a spoiler, the Brickyard 400 is back for real on the rectangular surface or track map, if you will, of Indianapolis. And Darlington, for the first time in many years, is not going to kick off the playoffs. Instead, it's going to end the regular season, while Atlanta Motor Speedway is going to be the new playoff opener interesting choice right there and Watkins Glen which is Nathan's home track they are going to be part of the round of 16 as the middle race of the round of 16 so that's basically the big highlights the point right there I'm sure Nathan's got some thoughts on this so Nathan I know you've had time to unpack on the schedule you know you're looking at it just because we're all trying to figure it out what are your thoughts on 2024 you know, it's kind of funny because we waited such a long time to get this schedule. And when we got it, all things considered, there's not a ton of changes. I mean, the biggest changes are really number one. Um, you know, we do have one new track in Iowa Speedway. Um, that obviously that kind of slots in right at the beginning of the year. That's the first race on the NBC USA network side of things. And I think that is um, a well-deserved date. I mean, they've kind of been um, wanting... I know the fans out there have really been wanting a Cup Series race, and Xfinity and Trucks had gone there for a really long time up until COVID. Um, so I think it'll be really cool to have another uh, another a race out there and, and to kind of represent a different part of the country for the, for the Cup Series side. I know NASCAR bought that facility about 10 years ago, and they put a lot of money into it, so I think it'll be really cool for them to just show off that facility because 
there's really not a lot that's going to have to need to get done between now and that race. I mean, IndyCar's there every year. ARCA goes there every year. Um, it They have cup-level facilities, so um, I'm glad we do have a race there. I, I know a lot of people are like, well, the short track package is not where it needs to be, and it's just another short track race. Um, but I think we'll maybe see some changes in the offseason on how NASCAR approaches that short track package, where maybe um, the racing will be a little bit better. So that was certainly... Um, Maybe one of the biggest changes, um, I think a lot of the speculation is they want, they're they going to Iowa because they couldn't make a date happen in Montreal, and I think that was kind of the big holdup on the schedule. Um, there may have been a hard stop date or, or a date where they kind of needed to have it done by, and, and, and the, the race up in Montreal, obviously uh, not on the schedule. They weren't able to get it done, and, and we were hearing a lot about that all summer. Um, so that's kind of too bad. I would have liked to see them go go north of the border and, and be kind of represented internationally. Um, but I don't think Iowa is a bad uh, a bad solution there. I'm glad overall that that's on the schedule. Um, otherwise, I mean, the first half of the schedule is nearly copy and paste from last year. Basically, the only change is Texas is added to the spring, uh, and there's no auto club. Um, a couple dates are, are, are moved around. I mean, you get Bristol on the concrete really early in the year. I think that could be um, that could potentially be an issue weather-wise. I think Atlanta, the second race of the year, could also be a, a potential issue weather-wise. And just starting the year with um, back-to-back drafting tracks is obviously really interesting. Um, I don't mind it from the perspective of, okay, the Daytona 500 is the most watched race of the year. Um, maybe by having Atlanta as a second race, I can continue to build a little bit more me- momentum through the spring because typically the first couple months of the season are the highest rated um, months of the season in terms of a television perspective. Um, so I, I kind of don't hate that, but then obviously I think um, the most jockeying, well, and then um, like, as you mentioned, we have Chicago back, we have Indianapolis Oval back, but the most jockeying, like you mentioned, is late August, early September. I mean, um, the final two races of the regular season now, Daytona and then Darlington, uh, and then your first two playoff races are Atlanta and Watkins Glen. Um, obviously, they kind of got put in a tough position with the whole Olympic break deal. Um, they kind of had to make a sacrifice there, and, and, and the big sacrifice that they made was is making was keeping Darlington on Labor Day weekend and uh, moving Darling or moving Daytona up a week to uh, the penultimate race of the regular season. I would have liked Daytona to stay as the regular season finale, but I'm thinking this will probably be just a one-year move because because of the Olympic break there, where you know there's consecutive weeks in, in late July, early August that we're not racing because NBC uh, needing to move all their resources and, and whatnot overseas. To, to Paris for, for the Olympics. Um, then two drafting tracks and two road courses in the playoffs. Um, that's a little bit of a surprise. That's something I had started to heard gain more momentum in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, in the and nonetheless, the first six races, four of them are quote-unquote wild cards. Um, I'm starting to deem road courses less and less of wild cards because we have so many of them now and um, so many drivers are taking road courses so much more seriously, but I mean, Atlanta's a wild start to the playoffs, and then then you have Watkins Glen, and I I don't know. I mean, I like Watkins Glen in the playoffs for sure. I like the track in the playoffs. I think the big question is, and, and this is also from somebody who essentially lives right down the road from Watkins Glen, will the attendance be there? Will the camping be there? Because it is typically one of the most attended races every year. It's been sold out the last eight years in the grandstand. The camping's been sold out the last three years. Um, I mean. The campgrounds are just massive, 
and that place gets absolutely filled up. And this is the first time that race has been uh, out of the Finger Lakes tourism season. It's the first time where everybody's been in school in, in my area. Um, so very interested to see um, how the local area, uh, how my area will react to that race um, being in September, since everybody's kind of been very used to that race being in August. And if um, if camping and everything will, will remain the same. So yeah, definitely some changes kind of in the uh, mid-June to mid-September portion of the schedule, but the other six months of the schedule pretty much the same as is this year. So not a ton of changes, you know, on the on the Xfinity side. Um, Xfinity schedule looks pretty similar to to, the, to last year as well. Um, you know, geez, series going off on me. That was really weird. Um, we, I mean, no Mid Ohio on the truck schedule. No Mid Ohio on the or no uh, no Road America on the Xfinity schedule. Um, I think those are the two big changes for that one. Obviously, Talladega's back in the playoffs now for Xfinity for a second date. Otherwise, I believe the the Xfinity schedule is just about the same in terms of tracks. Indianapolis is obviously going to be the oval there. And then um, not, not really any changes on the truck side. Just a couple dates got swapped around. And now uh, a second Martinsville date instead of the, uh, the mid-Ohio date. So... Uh, like I said at the beginning of, of this whole kind of tangent about the schedule, um, we, we waited a really long time for a schedule to come out that, all things considered, did not have a ton of changes from this year. Obviously, the Olympics provided challenges, and then, um, you know, Montreal provided a, a lot of the challenges outside of what had already been announced with Bristol Dirt going away and, and Indianapolis going to the Oval. So basically... It- it's like the Seinfeld show. It was a show about nothing. Not really. I mean, we had some good changes, but uh, overall, I agree with Nathan. We we basically just had a few hurdles that we had to clear for an otherwise basically identical schedule, minus the fact that we're not going to have Fontana for quite some time if they go back to that track. And uh, the fact that I was now on the schedule, the 7-8 smile, that's going to bring a lot of mis- Midwest folks over. And it's about time that they're going to be in Iowa because they built that track for that very reason, folks. So it'll be exciting to see a nighttime race. So the fans won't be sweltering in the hot summer day or hot late spring day over there. It'll be a good old late spring night over in that state. And I, for one, am excited for the Brickyard 400 to come back. I would love to see NASCAR have some kind of, you know, crown jewel thing bonus that the drivers can chase after sort of like the Winston million back in the late eighties and to the late nineties. So overall, you know, and we're going to talk about that on, t- on the podium finish because Ben Kennedy held a press conference with folks yesterday. Um, so we'll, we'll have some thoughts about that from a more critical level, of course, uh, later this week into the weekend, early next week at the latest. So stay tuned for that. But you folks get started on looking for their hotels because they're going to be busting up those hotel prices real soon. And I'm finding out out that hard way right now. So we'll see what races I can do. But we'll talk more about that when we get to 2024. Now let's go talk about this year because we're still in the midst of this playoffs action for the round of 12 and good golly in the Talladega on Sunday afternoon. But the Yellowwood 500 was a really competitive race. Lots of lead changes. Thankfully, not a lot of big ones. Just a few mini ones. One that did prompt a red flag, which Luis Torres was really happy about. But the rest of us were not. 
And in the end, of course, it was not a Hendrick driver. It was not a Toyota driver. It was Ryan Blaney who came through with a checkered flag and most of all, a spot in the round of eight. Admittedly, they needed something to basically overcome a really bad race at uh, Texas when they got involved in a crash and put them well below the eight ball. They needed something like this to happen, and it came through. And Blaney did something rare that we haven't seen him do ever when he wins a cup race. He did a burnout. And that was a rather interesting scene, just because he's typically old school, as you folks know. But getting into the round of eight must have meant a lot to him because of the fact that, you know, Team Penske hasn't had the greatest pace, greatest horse, you know, not horsepower, but they just haven't shown a lot of muscle this season. And they have finally got themselves one more step away from getting into the championship four. So congrats, of course, to Ryan Blaney and Team Penske and and Jonathan Hassler on winning at uh, Talladega. But Nathan, I know you got to catch up on watching the race after Sunday. It was a pretty competitive race, but not totally out of the usual bracket. But, you know, how much of a shot in the arm is this for Blaney, considering the points I just mentioned? Well, first off, friends, let me go on the record of saying that I swept my picks for this week for, for Talladega weekend. I, I pre- picked Brett Moffitt to uh, win the truck race. T- truck race. He won the truck race. Ryan Blaney, I picked him to win the cup race. He won the cup race. So um, I think that means you should be putting your money on. If you're if you're betting man or woman, you should be putting your money on whoever I pick um, for the Roval coming up here shortly because um, I'm on a very good stretch. Um, anyway, um, the cup race. Yeah, I was actually was not able to watch it. Uh, I had the uh, pleasure of being able to go check out the uh, Bills-Dolphins NFL game on Sunday. Um, so I was not watching the race, but I was able to watch back a lot of it um on replay um catch up on a lot of different podcasts and and read a lot about the race um we got a lot of lead changes right um and i think in a way that's a good thing but that's a bad thing i know i think from a tv perspective it's really good to watch it's really fun to watch but when you talk to like drivers and spotters um, they're kind of very much the opposite because when we have that three wide action, it's really because they're saving fuel. That's the only way we get that that three ride racing on on a super speedway or at least at Talladega and Daytona with this style of car. So they're not really racing when they're three wide like that. They're just um, saving fuel, and it kind of looks like they're racing more than they actually are. Um, so I do think the super speedway package needs a little bit of tweaking because it just seems really hard to pass in in those packs as well. Um, but I think from a fan perspective, it, it seemed like a good race. Um, obviously, we mentioned, I think, what, 69 or 70 lead changes, which is a ton. Um, you obviously had a couple of, um, you know, significant wrecks and playoff storylines and then a, a really good finish as well. But um, congrats to Blaney. Um, that's a, obviously a, a really big win for him, um, kind of for a multitude of reasons. I mean, number one, you know, Team Penske gets at least a car well, they ha- yeah, a car into the round of eight. I mean, that's really their only car remaining right now, um, with Joey Logano getting eliminated after the after the round of sixteen. So that's big for them, for an organization that's really had a down year and, and a manufacturer that's had a down year. And also because when you look at Ryan Blaney's last couple of years, it's probably not panned out exactly how he's wanted it to. Um, a winless year last year, and and now able to pick up his second win of this season. When, as as I mentioned, the factors of 
Ford just kind of being off aerodynamically and Team Penske just being off in general. So big win for him. Um, those stage points, or excuse me, those playoff points are obviously really crucial for him. Um, but he's going to have to um, run a pretty flawless round of eight if he wants to make it to Phoenix. Um, at least three top tens for sure. I mean, pr probably a couple of top fives. I mean, he's going to have to run extremely well at Las Vegas, Homestead, and, and Miami to, to get himself, or excuse me, at Las Vegas, Homestead, and uh, Martinsville to get himself in position to make the championship four. But but good for him nonetheless. Um, but it is kind of crazy. I mean, right now, you know, we talked about the Ford struggles all year, and but obviously RFK Racing had kind of been the best of the Fords. We're still looking at a position right now, or likelihood at least, where we get three Fords into the round of eight despite all of this. I mean, two including the RFK uh, Fords, assuming that, um, you know, both Keselowski and Busher are able to transfer. Transfer. Um, and Blaney, so I don't know, just kind of weird how that all pans out, and right now it's looking like the only Chevrolets that will likely be re remaining, or at least the only Chevrolets above the cut line, are, are the two Hendrick Chevrolets, and, and that had probably arguably been um, maybe the strongest manufacturers or whole. I mean, you could probably give a good argument for Toyota too, but um, just kind of surprising that with the way that the season's panned out, it's looking like we might only have two Chevys advancing to the round of eight and, and three Fords with, you know, kind of how some of the manufacturers have, uh, you know, played out throughout the, throughout the schedule. It just goes to show folks just how mag, um, magnified things get when we get to these little mini seasons in the playoffs where, as Nathan mentioned, Chevrolet and Toyota have been the OEMs of choice. But when you basically only have three races within these mini seasons or these rounds of the playoffs, Ford is able to scrap out every bit that they can get to get to each round. And it kind of reminds me of the situation that Chevrolet found themselves in in 2015 and 2016. But admittedly, the Ford and Toyota camps were far better than Chevrolet. But with the resources and, you know, the conservative approach that we've seen from RFK Racing, which has worked out to their advantage and team Penske being able to have this, this opportunity with Ryan Blaney, it's kind of making the Chevrolet and Toyota camps go, man, you know, we've been great all year. Now we're probably going to be facing against this one manufacturer. We didn't expect to show up at all into the round of eight. So this really puts a lot of pressure on these teams on the Chevrolet and Toyota camps for the, this final race of the round of 12 because it's going to be no easy test at the, at the Charlotte Roval. We all know how tricky this track is in terms of looking pretty serene, and yet it can grab someone by the hand and put them into the wall that quickly. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit. But one thing I know that a lot of folks are excited about, I'm excited about, Nathan I'm sure is too, is the fact that you folks can rejoice about the whole NASCAR video game council pc situation if you don't have iRacing i don't and you find it expensive i do sorry folks that do like iRacing well look no further and by the year 2025 we're gonna finally have ourselves a racing simulator available to play in the nascar cup series or nascar itself so it's super exciting because of the fact that the folks behind iRacing have acquired that license. So thank goodness for that because there hasn't been really a quality video game that has been out in quite some time. I know a lot of folks love the NASCAR Heat Series and I found it a pretty competent effort to say the least. But honestly, 
having the folks with iRacing coming up with this game is incredibly exciting. I have, you know, we're actually having a piece that's going to be coming up very shortly on TPF in the next week or two about the whole NASCAR doesn't have a good video game that can bring in new fans. Well, folks, let's calm down. We're finally going to have that because iRacing has acquired that NASCAR team's property exclusive simulator style console racing game license. In other words, we're going to have a great game. I'm looking forward to it. Whether you like the Switch, the Xbox, or PlayStation, or you want to play on your PC, you have choices. I used to be a sim racer, folks. Maybe not online, but I used to play the Papyrus games, which of course is now the modern day iRacing. And I'll tell you, from NASCAR 2 to NASCAR Racing 2003 season, it was an incredible experience to try to come up with the setups, understand the, the struggles that mechanics and crew come up with, and know how to be the driver and not just hit the gas pedal and hold it loosely on the corner. No, you had to learn how to play, you know, conservatively on tire management, you know, learn the lines so that you can run against the high groove at Darlington or Homestead. And uh, it's going to be so huge for NASCAR. I, I, I for one, can't wait for this. Nathan, I don't know if you've ever played any of those games or at least EA games or whatnot, but I think this is this is a huge W for NASCAR, despite the fact we'll have to wait a couple of years. But uh, how long how long overdue is this moment? Yeah, no, it's cool. I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be a really fun game and with it in the hands of iRacing. I imagine it'll be very well done, well produced. Um, hopefully there'll be like different modes, right? Like hopefully there'll be like you know the my career and then open race and testing. Like they'll have everything, right? And all the drivers and all the cars and all the schemes and it'll feel very real. But yeah. Um, I had always kind of been a um, NASCAR video game connoisseur to a degree. I mean, I don't really play video games as much anymore, but I remember when I was really little, I'd play like NASCAR 05 on my computer. Um, then I got consoles, and I'd play like NASCAR the game inside line, and I, I love that game. That was like my favorite game. Um, and then as I got a little bit older, I, I, I got the, some of the NASCAR Heat games. I remember I played NASCAR Heat 2 for a few years. I finally upgraded. I got NASCAR Heat 5, and I played that. And once in a while, I even, even still go on it right now. I'm not like – I don't have a, an iRacing rig or any of that. So um, when I want my, my NASCAR video game fix, I do go to the old PS4. But um, I'll definitely be uh, be purchasing this, game, purchasing this game when it comes out. I think it'll be – um, great for fans, and it'll also be really good for for the growth of the sport, and hopefully, um, get some new eyes on on the sport through the through the video game platform. Because obviously, competitive like video game playing is um, getting more and more popular. So I think any avenue where where NASCAR can um, can grow is is definitely um, tremendous for the sport. It's going to be exciting. A lot of you football fans know what it's like to have a good video game series in Madden. Um, some of us older folks may remember another series called NFL 2K. A lot of basketball fans love their NBA 2K series. And of course, MLB's got the game series um, that used to be exclusive to PlayStation. Now is on the major consoles and makes you feel like you're in Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park, wherever you want to play. You feel like you are that athlete, wherever that is. And NASCAR sorely needs this. There's only so much modding that NASCAR Heat 5 on a computer can do. Before you start to realize, man, I would love to race North Wilkesboro. Can't do that. I want to race in, the, you know, in that football stadium in LA. Can't do that. Well, 
In a couple of years, we'll find out the answers as to, you know, what tracks we can race. This is going to be one of those situations where there's going to have to be a DLC and we, you know, we want to play Xfinity series. Oh, you got to pay 20 bucks to get this. You know, we'll find out in time. Hopefully not going to be that situation. But, uh, you know, I have a lot of faith with the folks from iRacing to make a great, great video game that's going to be sim racing like. Hopefully have an option to be a little bit of an arcader because that's what they did with the Papyrus games. And uh, I'm looking forward to what Steve Myers and the crew over iRacing can do. Uh, I think they are going to do a great job. I, for one, I'm excited. I'll have to wait till I'm 40 when that happens. Kind of a weird thought to say. But uh I'm, uh, hey, when I turn 40, I'll, I'm definitely going to get myself that game. And if I can, I'll get myself a steering wheel and maybe we'll have a TPF Live racing contest with you fans and try to talk trash behind the scenes with you folks. We'll see, though. Anyways, you know what time it is now on Podium Perspectives. Yes, indeed, folks, it's winning time. So it's time for Nathan and I to make our picks for the Charlotte Roval race weekend with the NASCAR Xfinity Series Drive for the QR250. With defending race winner AJ Allmendinger not entered, so he won't get to continue that incredible streak that he started, I want to say, in 2019. And then we also have Sunday's NASCAR Cup Series Bank of America Roval 400. We do have our race winner in it that's defending it in Christopher Bell. And I'm sure he'd love to win it again, so he makes his way to the round of eight. So, Nathan, I'll let you go make your picks because I know you're the man with picks right now. We'll see what I come up with after I hear your picks. Yeah, so I think I'm for Saturday's Xfinity race, I'm going to go with Sam Mayer to win. Um, Mayer's won two of the last three road course races in the Xfinity series, and he's kind of in a tough spot right now. He's essentially in a must-win position. The first couple of races of the playoffs have not been kind to him. Honestly, this last little stretch since he won at Watkins Glen a little over a month ago have just not been kind to him overall, but... Um, we've really seen his road racing skills take off the, the last several months, so I think he could get it done on uh, on Saturday in the final road course race of the year. And then on the um, on the Cup side, I'll go with Tyler Reddick. I mean, he's quietly been one of the best road course racers in NASCAR this year. Um, it seems like that 45 team has kind of put behind them some of the issues that they had middle of the year. They're performing better on pit road. They're executing full races. He's obviously won on a road course earlier this year. He won earlier in the playoffs. So um, I'll go with Tyler Reddick to uh, win his way into the round of eight. Those are some excellent picks, and I have a tall task to try to respond to that because I don't want to disagree with you on those picks because that would make it really boring. So uh, I'll just say great picks, and I'm going to try to make mine pretty bold because we got some road ringers in this race for the Xfinity Series. Yes, we also we have Jordan Taylor, who of course we know is the a winning driver in IMSA. But we also have Mike Snyder in the number 19, Connor Mosak, who we know is a good road course racer from my times of seeing him in TA2. And then we also have, yes indeed, folks, Boris said. The said heads are going to be out in full force, I'm sure, in Concord, North Carolina, as he's not in just any ride. He's going to be driving the number 17. HendrickCars.com, Chevrolet Camaro, fielded by Hendrick Motorsports. So that is going to be an exciting situation. But let's keep it real as to who is going to win the Saturday race. I like your pick of Sam Mayer. He does need a he needs a victory, but in my opinion, I will go 
I'll say my I'll say Mike Snyder wins it. I mean, he he's a man who's looking for a job. I have seen him on pit road, and he looks like he's been a busy man trying to get back into a full time or at least a good part time schedule. So hey, if he can win on on Saturday afternoon, I know that he may see his phone getting more texts or phone calls. Um, if he can do that, as far as the Cup race is concerned. This is a tough one because normally I would easily say Chase Elliott or Kyle Larson, but um, we've seen Michael McDowell look really fast. I'm sure even though they're, he's not in the playoffs anymore, uh, he could have a really good number 34, loves Ford Mustang, ready to attack the usual contenders. We also have Mike Rockenfeller in that number 42 car. They've been showing some speed lately, right? You know, and Tyler Reddick, as Nathan pointed out, he's going to have a fast number 45 Jordan Brand to Camry, but... Uh, you're here to hear my pick, so I will go and venture to say that on Sunday afternoon, I think Martin Truex Jr. is going to win the race. He needs a victory. I know he's not like struggling or in dire straits, but you know you're asking for my opinion, folks. And he's a good road course racer, as we saw earlier this year at Sonoma Raceway. And I just like the pace of the Toyotas right now on the road courses. So I think Martin Truex Jr. is going to be up front. And get the victory, and my Snyder is going to also be a part of that. So I just realized, folks, I picked the number nineteen car for both races to win. So if I'm right, hey, maybe I'll play the you know the Powerball or whatever big game is out there right now with all the big bucks. But anyways, folks, what do you think? Do you think Nathan's got his picks right? Do you think I got mine right? Let us know on social medias, our accounts, other decks, Instagram, Threads. If anyone even uses Threads anymore. Hit us up on socials. He's in Solly's era too. I'm at Rob Tionks and, and our general social media account is at the podium finish. And as you know, folks, as I said in the beginning of the show, we're in episode number 90, which means in 10 more weeks, we'll be in episode 100. We want to do a special giveaway for you folks on, you know, being loyal fans and listeners of our show. So stay tuned for some details. I'll reveal closer to episode 100 because we want to treat you fans for being there since the beginning of our rebooted show. And in any event, folks, right now, that concludes Putting Perspectives. It is time to go atop the pit box with Cliff Daniels. Welcome back to another edition of Atop the Pit Box here on the Podium Finish and the Podium Finish Live. Rob Tiongson here, and I'm pleased to welcome back crew chief of the number five Hendrickcars.com, Chevrolet Camaro ZL1, Cliff Daniels, of course, championship winning crew chief, and he's going for his second one this year, folks. So before we get started, Cliff, I know you've got a busy weekend ahead, but how are you doing? Yeah, we're doing okay. It's, um, you know, it's been a good start to the playoffs for us. Uh, had some good results and, and you know, left a little bit on the table that, that we wanted some more. But uh, the team has been doing great. Everybody on our HendrickCars.com Chevy um, has just been working hard. All the, the, the great folks at Hendrick Motorsports giving us great race cars. And, uh, yeah, with, with a little bit of momentum that we have right now, um, we're focused on just keeping it going. Obviously, this next round is a, a tough round, but uh, I, I think we're ready. I think so, too. And as I said to Kyle recently, it's just incredible that you guys had this average finish of 2.33 in the round of 16. I joked to him yesterday. I was like, yeah, you could do the same thing again this round. But obviously, it's not that easy with these tracks, right? Yeah, really, none. nothing is easy 
come come playoff time in the Cup Series. Um, you know, while, while we're very pleased and, and and grateful for the results that we had uh, in in the round of sixteen, um, I, I can't help but look at Kansas and think that we we kind of gave that one away a bit, and, and that was really my fault with the call to stay out on ten lap tires when we should have pitted, and um, you know that kind of really flipped our race around. So uh, I do think there was a little bit more on the table for us. But to, to your point, looking ahead, um, man, the round of 12 is tough. Texas is a tough place. Talladega, such a wild card. Um, and even the Roval. The, the Roval is a great race. Um, I think it's a great race for the fans, great race for the competitors. But it is tough. And so many, so many different things can happen there. So, um, you know, we enjoy the challenge ahead of us. And uh, certainly got to make sure we're, we're buttoned up and ready to go. As I like to say, when you're having to look forward to something, man, they're making you work really hard to get to the weekend. And uh, this is what the round of 12 is all about, because as you mentioned, we have unique racetracks. We'll start off Texas, actually, which is where we're going to next. And drivers I've talked to this week have said, you know, it's a really distinct track. You have turns one and two where it's, you break a little bit and then they try to hold it wide open in turn three and four. For you as a crew chief, what makes Texas such a difficult track to prepare for? Yeah, I think uh, since they reconfigured Texas, I believe it was going into 2017, um, you know, the track every year seems to add its own few new characteristics just because of age. Um, the, the aggregate of the asphalt is getting a little bit older, so there, there's just a little bit less grip than, you know, what goes by year by year. Um, you know, the, the pavement continues to settle a, a little bit into the, you know, the foundation of it. And, and so you, the, the bumps get a little bit bigger each year. Uh, plus, to your point, just the unique um, layout where turns one and two is a lot tighter radius, a um, lot flatter banking angle than three and four is a lot bigger turn radius with a lot more banking. So your your car setup is is pretty unique for Texas um, as compared to some other, you know, standard mile and a half uh, type racetracks. So it's uh, it's a challenge to get both ends right. Um, certainly makes for an exciting race. I think, um, you know, Texas has probably gotten a bad rap for, you know, not having exciting racing and, and, and you know, it's hard to pass. Um, but, I, but I think now that the track has a little bit more character to it and, and some years have gone by since the repave, uh, I, I think it presents a great, you know, all around mix of, of what it takes to be good there. And, and it's really easy uh, for the teams and, you know, crew chiefs to, to get one, aspect of the track right you know your car can be really good in one and two and then you're too loose in three and four or you can be really good in three and four and then you're actually too tight in one and two um and, and i think just that dynamic of kind of mixing up you know both ends and the challenge of trying to get your balance right uh presents pretty good racing so honestly we're, we're looking forward to the weekend we know it's going to be a challenge but uh texas is it's a fun place we like it and it shows in your track record since you've worked with Kyle. You have the win in 2021, both times, actually, with the uh, the All-Star race and then, of course, the fall race. And then last year, you got a ninth place finish. Could have been better, but it was kind of an eventful race. So you have that baseline working for you. But then Goodyear brings this new element of a different tire compound, which y'all have not seen yet this year. So how much of that is a curveball for you guys when you look at your notes, especially with the next-gen car, and you're going you know, Kyle, we have a different tire compound, so I need you to take care of these tires. Is that going to be a factor as well? Well, it's actually uh, the same tread compound. The, so the compound is the same. The, the rubber that meets the road is the same. 
It is a much different construction, though. And um, we spent a lot of time this week trying to get educated on on the differences in the construction. Um, there was a, uh, a a team, you know, a team in Goodyear tire tests that um, I want to say the 11, the 22, and the 99 went to. So we have just a little bit of notes from that, uh, you know, kind of for the industry. Then there was a uh, an OEM wheel force test where, you know, Chevrolet did a great job of, of going to execute that test. So we have a little bit of information um, on the track now with this tire. It's still not the same as what it's going to be like when we get there, you know, with all the cup cars and, and the speeds that we're going to run. And, um, you know, obviously the, the the margins that you kind of have to work within to, to be fast. Uh, so it is it is different. It is a little bit of a, a, a curve ball trying to make sure that we understand that really well. Uh, but it's going to be the same for everyone, even the guys that uh, got to be there during the test. Um, you know, we heard about those track conditions and what they were, which, in all honesty, are going to be a bit different track conditions than what we're going to see this weekend. So, um, you know, again, like I've said, we're we're looking forward to the challenge uh, from from just another year of age on the track, plus the, the different tire construction that we have on the right side tire. Um, and, and we've just got to be a student of the game as, as the weekend goes, make the right adjustments on the car. Uh, and just take it as it comes. It's got to roll with the punches, because if you do that, then you can pretty much prepare for anything that comes your way, which has been the MO for the number five team, I would say, since you and Kyle worked together. And wouldn't surprise me to see you guys running towards the front of the field this weekend. And one of the things I think that's made you guys work so well, especially since last year, is we have a year and a half, maybe almost two years now with this next-gen car. You know, how, in your, how have you and your number five team have been preparing for, you know, these fleet of cars that you now have compared to last year when, you know, we had the parts shortage situation going on. Yeah, I think uh, just having the, to your point, you know, the, um, you know, the experience under our belt of working with the car now, and and there's a lot of collective, uh, collective intelligence within the four, you know, hinder cars in our stable, plus all the folks that are working, you know, all day, every day to, to try to you know, further our understanding and and, and continue to, to to squeeze the juice of speed, you know, for our cars. Um, and, and, you know, just overall, I, I think we have to look as much at the things that we've done wrong over the year and a half with the next-gen car as much as we look at the things that we did right. Um, you know, the unfortunate part of competition is, is if you do it right, when you fail, you can learn just as much from when you fail as, as when you win or when you have a great day. So we've uh, tried to be very self-aware and, and, and very, um, you know, studious to, to trends of the car, trends of the tracks, you know, trends of development that we've seen uh, to make sure that we're, we're learning at the right pace and we're growing at the right pace. Um, and, and like I mentioned, there, there are certainly wins along the way of growing and, and those are great. And, and you have to, you know, you really have to make sure you, you capture within a win or within a good weekend what you did well. Uh, but it's equally as important to capture, um, you know, things that you do wrong. And, and when you do fail, when you do miss uh, the setup or the balance or whatever it may be, race strategy, um, making sure you, you pull away from that, uh, the, the value uh, of the miss and and, and make sure you, you just in, increase your knowledge and understanding of what it's going to be, you know, the next time you encounter that. So, that's kind of been our uh, our mindset um, since since the new car came along. We had high expectations for ourselves. We realized along the way that we weren't going to be perfect every week, and um, you know we just try to continue to improve on our process, the way we communicate, the way we understand the car and, and ourselves um, every week. And you know, really proud of all the guys on the team. 
we're, we're a pretty young group overall. We've got some young engineers, young mechanics. Uh, but but for as young as we are, there, there's so much talent on our team. Um, and of course, Kyle himself, you know, he's just into his 30s. His talent speaks for itself. But, uh, you know, the way that he's um, executing races and understanding what he needs out of the car, you know, he's very mature in that. Um, and, and so there's a lot of value in having all of the, the youth on our team, plus the talent and, and couple that with the experience that we're getting now. Um, everyone's doing a great job. It just sounds like there's a lot of positive energy that goes around the campus and even at the race weekends and in the pits or in the garage area. It just seems like that's what has been the key to success for you guys. And that kind of leads me to my next question here, Cliff, because I feel like you've mentioned how Kyle's only in his 30s, but yet he's so mature when it comes to car feedback and just letting you know what to do to make it better. I've got to ask you, with all the drivers you've worked with, you know, what has made you and Kyle work well and click the way you guys have been doing since you guys met together or together in 2021? Yeah, I think um, I, I think both of us just have a very pure passion for racing. The way that we both see what it takes to compete very similarly. Um, you know, he's very critical of himself, but in a in a healthy way, in, in a way of, of always learning to get better. I'm very critical of myself in a healthy way of always learning to get better. Um, and, and then we both are okay with holding each other accountable. Like there's times where the car's off and, Hey man, we're like, this just isn't what I need. He'll tell me that that's okay. That's, that's good. I understand that. And and I, I value that honesty from him. Um, and, and then likewise, if, if I think he's made a mistake or, you know, we, we need to approach a set of turns differently than, than what may be natural for him. And we need to work on his line and then, you know, work the car to pair with that adjustment. Um, He's, he's okay with that honesty from me as well. So just the way that we kind of see uh, our, our own attack for, you know, the, the way I lead the team and the way, you know, I'm trying to help the team set up the car for him and the way that he's leading himself for what, you know, what he wants to have out of the car and the way that he wants to drive the car. Um, there's a lot of trust in that. There's a lot of great, you know, communication in that. It, it's not always easy, but it, it shouldn't be, you know, to compete at a high level. It's not going to be easy and you have to challenge each other. Uh, which we do. Um, and, and and I think that, you know, always brings about just a really healthy, very grounded energy between the two of us where, you know, I'm not going to walk around and be like, oh yeah, you know, our, our, our car is great just because Kyle Larson's going fast in it. I've been around long enough to know that part of the reason our car goes fast is because we have Kyle Larson in it. So then it's, it kind of doubles down on my responsibility uh, to make sure that we're, we're giving someone uh, like him and giving him, um, you know, everything that we can to give him what he needs because he, he has so much talent to showcase, you know, when he has a car that drives good and, and, and we own that. I own that as the, the leader of the, the team and the crew to get it right. Um, and, and so, you know, without being redundant on, on myself of what I'm saying, I, I think just a lot of that chemistry, a lot of our communication, um, our, our trust and our approach is, is what keeps us going. It's what gotten us to this, what has gotten us to this point and, and certainly going to carry us in the future. I like that you described the synergy between yourself and Kyle, and it's it's really good that you guys hold each other accountable. But it also means that when you guys have the good days, you can both celebrate it and know it was a collaborative effort. It wasn't because of one individual over the other. And that's kind of a key thing that we see in sports, you know, like the Chicago Bulls back in the day with Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan. So um, the way you described that, I felt like I was listening to a head coach talking about the uh, the Bulls dynasty of the 90s, which is so cool to hear. Um 
But the thing that's also interesting too is there are times I'm sure, Cliff, that you have to motivate Kyle, sometimes motivate the pit crew when they've made a mistake. Say if Kyle hit the wall in turn four, at you know, running so high, or the pit crew may have had a slow pit stop. You know, how important is it to motivate the troops around you, even if you feel the same way that they do? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think some of it for me, naturally, um, I, I have a very intense personality. Um, Kyle, Kyle makes fun of me for it, and and, and that's okay. And, you know, the, the team gets to pick on me about it. But, um, you know, with, with having a group that is, you know, we have, again, like I said, we have a lot of youth on our team. And, and with the youth, we have a lot of talent on our team. Um, the way I see it, it, it's okay for, for me to have the intense personality of holding us to a high standard and, and holding us to an expectation that we have of ourselves, because there's a lot of collective buy-in from our team of, of setting the standard of, of meeting our own standards of how we compete. And, and, you know, when, when you have a group that is, is assembled together with a very like mindset, um, very high expectations and very high potential, that's a great combination. And and so it's my job to kind of foster that with all of them. Um, even when I get made fun of for, for being too intense or whatever it is, um, I've learned to be comfortable with that. I've learned to be comfortable with the guys giving me a hard time of how seriously I take things or, um, you know, how, how intense I, I can be about things. But um, I, I think they also respect that. And, and, and I certainly have to hold myself accountable to, to doing what's right for the collective good of the team and, and for the individuals. And, and when you handle, you know, teammates on an individual level, um, it does take a, a different approach per person. And that's where I've kind of had to evolve as a person and as a leader um, to make sure I'm, I'm there and, and, and I'm, you know, um, being being a good a good mentor and a good leader to each individual and to the collective good of the team. And, and through that comes a lot of respect that we have for each other, it comes a lot of trust. Um, and, and look, we still get to have fun of, of making fun of each other, you know, through some of these moments. Um, and, and on the backside of a tough moment or a tough situation where, you know, I've done something wrong or Kyle's done something wrong, made a mistake, the pickers made a mistake, whatever it may be. We absolutely have the tough conversations. And then a couple hours later, we're, we're kind of able to poke fun at each other, uh, you know, through, through what some of that is. And I think there's a lot of growth in that. There's a lot of growth in the honest, difficult conversations, but still knowing that, uh, you know, we have the camaraderie, we, we have the relationship. Uh, within our team and kind of the family vibe within our team that, hey, we're still all in this together. You know, there there may have been a mistake. There may have been a miss, uh, whatever it is, but we're going to be men and talk about it and be tough. And and on the backside of it, we're going to be stronger because of it. So, you know, we, we try to to keep that mindset and, and keep it fresh and keep it healthy and, and keep it moving. Um, and, and certainly if it weren't for you know, for Kyle, for the great guys on our on our pit crew, on our road crew, shop crew, all the guys that make up the five team um, that are very high character individuals, very high talent individuals, uh, a lot of energy. If it weren't for what that collective group is, we wouldn't have the culture that we have. We wouldn't have the potential that we have. And, and that's not just because of me. And that's not just because of Kyle. It's not just because of any individual. Um, we, we just overall have a great group. And uh, that's a lot of fun to be a part of. The cohesion that you describe, I think you just said the one word that caught my attention, family, because some folks in sports say, oh, that's a crock when people say that you can have families in sports. But the way you described that, I was like, man, you guys sound like a great unit of brothers who work together. And uh, I love hearing that. It just seems like you guys are willing to go to battle with each other, 
you win it together, you, you grow from the, the tough times, and that's what makes you guys so strong. Not on with the race cars, but with as an organization and the the whole roster as well. Um, that's really empowering to hear, Cliff. It's so cool to, to know that for sure. I think one other intangible that I've never brought up with you is the factor of Mr. H. Um, and I've been curious about this over the years with you. What's been the most important or best advice that Mr. H has given to you since you've joined the Hendrick organization? There are so many positive qualities that Mr. H embodies every single day. I don't know that we have time in this conversation for me to cover all of them. Um, I, I think that kind of goes without saying, but there's a couple that I could speak on. Um, you know, the one thing that Mr. Hendrick really conveys to his people more than anything else is that we are a family of Hendrick Motorsports. We're going to treat each other that way with, you know, the respect, the trust, the honesty. Um, you know, of course, it's it's part of life and it's part of competition that, that there are going to be mistakes. There's going to be friction. There's going to be pain and growth. But through that, um, you know, that, that's when you really have to embrace who we are as a family of Hendrick Motorsports, embrace each other, know that we're all wearing the same badge on our on our shirt. Um, and, and, and that's where you, you come out of those difficult, challenging times, you know, adversity, so to speak, where, where you come out stronger. And, and that's what holds the potential within our company, within the great people of our company to go do great things. And, and Mr. Hendrick talks about that really all the time, that uh, it's going to take all of us. We're all in this together. We're going to be a family together. We're going to work together. And, and there's nothing that's going to stop us from working together, no matter what, you know, on track thing may happen between two teammates or what crossword somebody may say at the shop or after a race. We're going to talk through it. We're going to handle it, you know, like professionals and like a family. We're going to be better because of it. And, and we're just going to keep moving forward. Um, that That is such an important overarching, you know, quality of, of mindset that Mr. Hendrick, um, you know, brings to the company that's so important. And then another one that, uh, you know, it's kind of twofold to me. There, there's two different parts here. Um, one of it is he talks a lot about servant leadership, making sure that, you know, the crew chiefs, the company managers, um, we're always looking out for the folks that are that are doing the work, that are grinding the hours, you know, doing all the little things that it takes to put special race cars on track and and to 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 really operate at a special high level. Um, you know, we have a responsibility as leaders to make sure we're catering to that. Um, and, and then with that comes a dose of humility. He 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 said it like this before. Um, when you're winning, you're not as good as you think you are. And when you're losing, you're not as bad as you think you are. That's a pretty healthy mindset to kind of keep you grounded, right? To know that, hey, when, when we're winning, there's always room to improve. You know, there's an element of humility that needs to come with that. But when you're losing, don't get too dejected. Don't get too down on yourself or down on your people, right? There's always a, a healthy mindset to kind of keep the extremes in check. And, and, and that is directly from Mr. Hendrick's leadership. And, and, and the messages like that that he conveys to us. Um, so when I think about what he, you know, what he teaches us and what he brings to us, um, you know, all the time here at Motorsports, th those are the things that I just mentioned that, that really stand out. Um, and, and honestly, it's a blessing to be part of. It's, it's a blessing to have a, a leader like that that is so good to his people, empowers his people so much, gives us so much, um, 
you know, flexibility to, to work within team building and growth, knowing that there's going to be mistakes along the way. But we know that if we make a mistake, you know, one time or, or, or two times that he's not just going to come block us up on uh, the upside of the head. He's going to help us grow through that. Of course, you can't continue to make the same mistakes and, and grow, but he's always going to be there to help us grow. Um, and, and there's a lot of that Hendrick family mindset, um, you know, the, the way we all work together. That's so critical to that. I really like that, you know, what he said, and it sounds like it's about having an even keel mindset is what I took away from that. And that it just goes to show that he's been able to impart that so that you can tell your folks that you work with about what you've learned and what they've heard. And everybody can work as one, not as individuals thinking out over each other, which is, uh, that's what makes a good team cliff. And I think that's why you guys are so successful with all the teams throughout these years. I'm going to ask you for my last question and not to put you on the spot, like my friend, but what would it mean for you if you could win your second career Cup Series championship as a crew chief, knowing that it's the 75th anniversary season of NASCAR? Great question. I understand why you want to ask the question. Um, I think just being a little bit of an old school racer, I always have a little bit of superstition of talking about things in advance. <laughs> so I'm not going to. And and um, we'll see how the year plays out. I'll make you That's deal. It. If okay. the way if the year plays out a certain way, I will be happy to answer the question if that were the case. That's fair. No, I totally respect that. I kind of think of what Ray Everham would feel like when an inter- like a reporter like me would talk to him on the last lap. He's like, no cameras, no microphones. Just let me. I get it. It's like a perfect game. Don't don't talk about it. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> well. Well, Cliff, before I let you go, and I had a great time talking to you again, do you have anything you want to say to your the fans of the number five team and to the fans at the podium finish? Yeah, I mean, first, I, I just want to thank you for, you know, having me on here. I know you've had Kyle on here before, and, and and you always do a great job of talking to folks in the racing industry. So thank you for what you do and, and kind of showcasing this to the fans. Um, and, and then, you know, it's been really special for us lately as, as time has gone by uh, to be with Kyle and to be with the five team. There are so many fans that we see at the racetrack that are wearing the five gear, the five swag, um, always stopping by to say hi. Um, we are so appreciative of that because to be in the sport, you know, I, I think a fundamental understanding of being part of the sport is that the the fans are the lifeblood of the sport. If it weren't for the fans, then then what we do just isn't possible. And at the end of the day, we have a job working on race cars and working in racing. Uh, which is, you know, just uh, a, a dream come true in itself. But so much of that is is um, is driven from and, and led by the fans. So genuinely, thank you to all the five team supporters and all, all the NASCAR fans, even if you don't like the five team. Um, thank you for supporting our sport because uh, you know that 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 what that is what lets us do what we love doing and 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 get to be a part of it, um, which is pretty special. And we we never take that for granted. So um, thanks to you. Thanks to all the fans. Absolutely. It's always our pleasure. And ladies and gentlemen, that was Cliff Daniels here on the top of the pit box. So hope to have you on again real soon. Thanks again. And that was Cliff Daniels, crew chief of the number five, Hendrick Cars, Stockcom, Chevrolet Camaro, Z01, fielded by Hendrick Motorsports. And my thanks, of course, to Cliff for taking some time to talk to me prior to the Texas Motor Speedway race weekend. That's why he kind of talked about, you know, taking on Texas because I wanted to get his crew chief perspective on that, kind of how to prepare for a tricky track like that. 
And of course, my thanks also to Autumn Dirac for her kindness, friendship, and support of getting these stories done this year. And I'm sure we'll be working with her quite a bit more later this year and into next year. But for my closing thoughts of TPF Live episode number 90, Nathan mentioned earlier that it's going to be in the 80s up for him. I am so happy. I get to say it's going to be in the 70s for me in Texas. So total opposite. We're having a, our first cool down at last since May. So I'm excited for that. But uh, really for closing thoughts, all I can say is we're having a great playoff season so far. We're seeing lots of different storylines and lots of new energy coming into NASCAR. Um I'm just kind of curious who's going to be in the the, the number 16 call a cup racing car um, just because it doesn't seem like we're sure if AJ Allmendinger is going to come back. So I, for one, hope we put that to rest so we can just get our rosters lined up and we can talk about 2024 not too long from now instead of January. And we're like, who's driving that car? So that's my final thought. How about you, Nathan? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing what, uh, what happens this weekend. I mean, um, you know, I think the Rovals produced a, a lot of chaos in the past, both well, mainly in, in, a, in a good way. Obviously, these are cutoff races for uh, um, for both series. Um, so we'll we'll uh, we'll see who makes it through to the round of eight in both Cup and Xfinity. And then, yeah, kind of to your point, we also still have some uh, a lot of seats that, that need to uh, um, be filled. I know you also kind of talked about that in, towards the end of your um, you know your your picks for the. For the weekend, like somebody like a Myatt Snyder, there's there's a lot of seats, particularly on the Xfinity Series side, that are wide open for next year. So, um, who knows? A win for for some of these drivers could go a really long way in terms of getting uh, job security for next year. And typically, just around this time of year is when we start um, seeing a lot of these other silly season dominoes to fall. So we'll be uh, keeping the eyes peeled on the Charlotte Motor Speedway Media Center over the weekend to see if any uh, any big announcements occur. Yep, because even though we're in the digital era, folks, Charlotte Motor Speedway sent, sent, tends to be this place where we see paint scheme reveals or surprise announcements. So stay tuned for that. And also, too, we uh, we didn't want to forget to mention, of course, Haley Deegan's going to the Xfinity Series full time next year in that number 15 AM racing Ford Mustang entry. Nathan and I will talk more about that next week just because we also want to see, of course, who is going to be her teammate for next season. Because it's not just the Cup Series, folks. Xfinity and Trucks, they're all in this silly cities and madness. So we'll keep you up to date. We'll give you our opinions. And we want to hear from you folks about those as well. So with that, it is time to go and wrap up episode number 90 of TPF Live. So for Nathan Solomon and Cliff Daniels, I'm your host, Rob T. Yonson, saying thanks so much for tuning in to the world's fastest hour of racing talk, The Pony Finish Live. Catch all of our previous episodes on any major podcasting platform. And also look forward to next week's episode, episode number 91, the post-Charlotte Roval pre-Las Vegas edition. Yes, we're going to the Sin City folks. So, you know, grab a dice, roll down the table, and we'll see what happens when it comes to racing in Las Vegas. But until we get to that point, as I always like to say, let us all go get that checkered flag. And until next time, so long, everyone.